You're listening to The Skeptical Saint, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Cynicism is the sickness of my culture. We undress each other with an evil eye. Concentric circles, we look like vultures when we feast on the failures of the lives we criticize. Welcome to the podcast where crippling doubt collides with positional righteousness. This is the Skeptical Saint Show. I'm Danny Van, the host, and Miss Maggie and Mr. Aaron are here today Mr. again. Aaron. <laughs> Mr. Aaron. <laughs> Mr. Aaron. <laughs> she's, she's just easing into this whole hosting thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Welcome back to the show <laughs> for episode two. We are going to be addressing 10 questions regarding relationships, which is going to be so incredible because my wife will not be able to believe that I'm answering any questions (laughs) regarding relationships. But no, seriously, there's been obviously been in ministry for two decades now and seen lots and lots of people, individuals, guys and girls go through dating, engagement, marriage, divorce, getting remarried, divorce again, uh, all the trauma, Mm. all the issues. As Paul Tripp always says, two sinners living in a broken world. Mm. And so I think there are really pressing questions. Once again, just like episode one, these are actual questions that have been submitted to us by listeners, by those who attend our church, by those around our area, really from those around the United States, from those who come to our young adult gathering. And we want to answer these as best we can today. And it might get a little spicy and it might get a little awkward, but hey, it's good that we address these questions and that we answer them. So with that being said... 10 questions for the skeptical saints regarding relationships. Come on, Danny, ask it. (laughs) Here's my favorite question. (laughs) Starting off. Can I make out with my boyfriend and use tongue? Is that sinful? Maggie. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, hey, it's, it's a really good question. Yeah. And we've actually addressed a couple of these things on our other podcast out of Oz um, on how far can I go with my boyfriend and girlfriend? Um, should Christians date yeah. according to the world standard of dating? And so we might have attacked with this question, but look, I, I always kind of contend for if scripture doesn't say something is sin, I'm going I'm to err more toward that side that it's not sin. Now, there are principles of scripture that can be violated that are sinful as well. So just because scripture doesn't say specifically, don't do this, don't say this. Don't participate in this. We know that it's a violation of principle to do certain things or engage in certain things. And so I think that's where there's so much nuance around this question of physical activity of boyfriend and girlfriend. We know that scripture says abstain from porneia in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, run from it. And so over and over again, like there's just, there's this, it's very, very clear in scripture. Hey, don't have sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Is that talking about intercourse? Is it talking about oral sex? Like, and most Christians, I think, would just say it's it's all of that. It's yeah. anything sexual in nature. However, the problem comes in when we start talking about like, okay, look, I don't know. The bases seem to get moved around on me. Uh, the, the older I get, like when I, when I when I was a kid, um, <laughs> like first base was pretty significant. Now it means nothing. But um, but I think this whole like making out my boyfriend girlfriend is kind of like leading off first base. Like you're heading towards second, from what I understand, and. I like that analogy as simple as it is and as kind of stupid as it is of the basis because it shows that there's a progression. Like yeah. God, God did not intend for making out 
using tongue. <laughs> so How do you do weird. it? So Show weird. me. <laughs> um, <laughs> to be an end in itself. Yeah. He just didn't design it that way. And so many, I talked about this on one channel, one of the former podcasts, but so many people who that was, that was their line. That was their line. As a matter of fact, I think I can say this when, when Danny's in a relationship, Maddie's in a relationship. And I've told both of you guys at times, Hey, wherever your line is, move that back a few degrees. Because wherever your line is, the natural tendency, even of those who want to follow Jesus, is to right proceed past that right. line. Yeah. And then you're filled with regret and you're filled with guilt and your spirituality takes a hit, like mm. your walk with Jesus suffers. And so to me, I'm like, is it is it a sin? I think it's pretty difficult to say yes. It's a, it's a sin to make out your boyfriend or girlfriend. But is it wise to do that? Where is it going to lead? Is it going to actually lead to satisfaction? And this is where I should be. Um, and also, I mean, as trite as it is, like, I think it's important for you to think about, hey, what if, I know it doesn't seem like for anybody listening who has a significant other that you're making out with and using tongue, <laughs> that uh, that you, you're probably not thinking like, oh, we're going to break up. But a lot of relationships do go south. A lot of people do break up and you might end up marrying somebody else. And would would you want your that. significant other who, who you're going to actually marry one day so that means you're going to love them a lot more than you love this person right. you're making out with tongue with right now. Um, would you want them out there making out with, mm-hmm. proceeding past lines, getting to second base, groping, feeling, sexual um, activity? Like, I think the answer is no. Anybody who says yes, there's other issues to address there because mm-hmm. this is intimacy. We understand that. Like mm-hmm. sexuality, physicality, God designed it to be not just an act, but an intimate act. And so um, I think we should proceed with extreme caution in that. But to make a blanket statement, you're just not going to find me doing that where I'm, you know, I grew up Baptist. So it's hard for me to like say things are definitively sin that aren't biblically definitively sin. And if you have a personal conviction, do not push that on other people. But don't violate it either. Mm. Well, yeah, for yourself. No, no, yeah. So don't make other people feel like crap. I think both those are valid points. Um, I do think there can be legitimate care with, uh, like, I could look at you. Or if you do at, it well. I could look at Danny. I could look at one of my friends who's dating, and you're you're doing things physically that maybe aren't sin, but I'm going, I care a lot about you guys, and I don't want to see you progress down a road. And I've seen a lot of people progress down that road. You're like, oh, I was only going to go to this point, but then I ended up way down here at this point. Yeah. So I do think there's, there's most of the people you're talking about that would, like, come at you with, like, censure and judgment. They, they don't portray a whole lot of care for yeah. you, right? But I'm talking, like, if you actually, if, if your friend or your you know, a a friend, brother or sister, yeah. a, a son or daughter, they know that you legitimately care for them and love them and you're looking out for them, that's Please, different. Yeah. Also, if you have a personal conviction, I'm not going to kiss till I get married, don't freaking kiss till you get married then. Mm. Don't violate your conscience. You don't have to push down other people, but don't violate your conscience. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I'm not going to do whatever until I get married. Um, I think there's a universal line of anything that's sexual in nature is a violation of scripture based on the word porneia once again, but kissing or holding hands or cuddling or using tongue. So weird. Such a weird question. Anyway, Don't figure that out. Um, yeah. <laughs> Number two. Okay. Can I vacation slash live with slash sleep in the same bed as my boyfriend slash girlfriend? This is such a great follow-up to question one. I get asked it all the time. Because, because, will you find in scripture a passage that says you shouldn't lay with, lay beside, sleep beside, boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, somebody you crushing on, whatever. Your and the answer is no. 
You're not going to find it. It's not in Third Thessalonians. It's nowhere. Like, you're just not going to find it. And so, is it a sin? No, it's not. Not a sin. However, just like question one, I, I remember when I was in college, there was a girl, Natalie. I didn't even know her last name. I don't even remember what she looked like. But she was kind of cute. I remember that. And I was single, and she was single. And she came over. I was living off campus. I was a senior in, in college. And we had a bunch of friends over. And we watched, I think it was American Idol, which was outlawed at my school, very conservative Christian college. But we watched American Idol. It was like season two, Clay Aiken season, if you remember that, um, for those who are old enough. And anyway, we had this blanket, and it was Wisconsin. It was cold. It was like February. And we cuddled on the couch. And I remember, probably because I was a nerd and I was homeschooled growing up, and so that was <laughs> that was a big deal to me. But look, I just remember being like, hey, this is nice. Like, this is cool. Like, this is, you know, like, there's somebody here for me. There's somebody. But also, I remember, like, she left and, I, and that wasn't like, like that was nice for the moment. And if we had been in a relationship, maybe, maybe it would mean more, but that's like, God didn't design us to want to just cuddle. It didn't design us once again to just want to like lay beside each other and sleep in the bed. Every, uh, like, look, maybe you're the exception. You're watching, you're listening, and you're like, I would never. Every single person that I know who was like, I'm on a vacation to sleep in the same bed or I'm mm. going to live with, but we're just not going to have sex ends up having sex every single one because God did not design you to lay beside someone that you care intimately about and not kiss, make out, grope, have sex, whatever. And so while it's once again not sin and you hypothetically could do that without sinning, practically speaking, that is almost an impossibility. So I would strongly urge those if you're dating somebody, you're engaged to somebody, do not lay beside them. Do not sleep beside them. Do not vacation with them, at least not in the same room. Uh, and if you do, I would even just so far as say, if you do vacation with them, um, vacation with other people too. Mm -hmm. you, look, it's all about protection here. It's not about legalism. It's all about being protected, yeah. safeguarding your emotions, safeguarding your intimacy, your sexuality before the Lord. That's, that's all I got. Next time someone asks me that, I'm just going to send them this clip. Hey. <laughs> Skeptical saying. I'll make a Let's clip go. of it. Please. <laughs> Easy okay. access for sure. <laughs> what should I look for in a spouse? Aw, such a sweet question. I think there's too much intention. Like every, every young adult I talk to who's single is so focused on what their partner should be instead of focused a lot on what they should be for their partner. Oof, get them. Okay? Oh. No, no, so I'm just saying, like, <laughs> not really. Yeah, for real. I mean, everybody, it's like, they gotta be this and they gotta look like this and they gotta have this and they gotta have a job and they gotta, okay, whatever. And that's fine. Like I get that. Yeah. And, and especially, and we'll get to that here in a second. There are certain things that should be on the checklist of every Christian girl or guy, but I think there should be a lot of intention on, uh, there's a lot of toxic marriages out there. And I think uh, it's because there's a lot of self-centered Christianity out there because of the humanism that persists in our world and always has, where people are so caught up on what I wanted this person to be. Okay, so I'll, I'll use Maddie and Ben, for example. I love both of them. They're amazing. But Maddie is dating a guy. They've been dating for a couple of years. Ben, great baseball player, awesome guy, strong Christian. But if Maddie is just intent on what Ben needs to be for her as a boyfriend, fiance, mm. and husband, he's going to let her down. Yeah. Like, we're going to let our significant other down. And then all of a sudden, it's like you wake up one day and you're like, this is not who I married. Like, this is not what I was looking for. And instead of being focused on who I should be for my spouse. Now, I get it. There's some toxic relationships that are really top-heavy on one side or the other. There's a guy who's addicted to porn or having an affair, or there's a girl who is um, 
sexually dismissive and won't sleep with their husband or whatever. Okay, I get there's that type of thing where it's it's 80, 90% one person's yeah. fault. But by and large, I think typically it takes two people to to have this struggle within a marriage. And I think a lot of time it's because of unmet expectations in my own heart of what I wanted you to be instead of what I was purposing myself to be for them. So I think before we make a checklist for our spouse, potential spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, we should make a checklist for ourselves of where I need to be spiritually in my walk with the Lord and in my discipline and my money management and you, you know my, 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 my study before. I'm just saying I think your marriage is gonna be a lot healthier that way. So it really who is. We need to be. If you're if you're focused on like how can I serve this person yeah. and love this person and care mm-hmm. for this person and direct this person to a, a stronger relationship with Jesus. And then yeah, you make the checklist. And I don't think the checklist needs to be super long. I think physical attraction is important. Like guys do. I think that God has made us once again to be sexual creatures. And so your boyfriend could be a dog to everybody else in the world. Who cares? But it, but I think you I think you should, I'm being serious. Like dogs are cute. But but you you should be attracted to them and they should be physically attracted to you. I think that I think that's important. I don't think it's a deal breaker, but I think it's important. And attraction can grow. Because sex is important. Like sex and intimacy and physical intimacy is important. Um they're not always gonna look that way. And so that cannot mm, be that cannot be the linchpin on which everything hangs, but um, I think it's important, but I think far more than that, there are certain things that you should look for. And even a Christian can learn from this. Somebody who's responsible, someone who actually fulfills their commitments, someone who says, Hey, I'm going to be there. And they actually show up and they're there and they're there on time. Someone who knows how to like take care of their money because they're going to be taking care of you and your family. Um, whether it's guy or girl, it doesn't matter. Obviously, clearly someone who loves Jesus and doesn't just say they love Jesus. So many people mm-hmm. like, I'll be like some girl I'm, I'm friends with or whatever uh, in my young adult ministry or student group or band or, or guy. And they'll be like, Hey, I found this person. I'm dating them now. And I'm like, Oh, they're Christian. And they're like, they say they are, you know, I talked about that. And I'm like, well, that literally means they're not like, if you have to say, they say they are like, it's it's one thing to say you're a Christian. It's another thing to like love Jesus and be committed Mm -hmm. to him. And so Mm -hmm. um, these are some principles that help guide us. And there's lots more that we can get into. We could do a whole podcast. Maybe we will on just what should I look for in a future spouse? Yeah. Sorry. That was no. a long answer to question too. I wanted to sneak this in before you started, but I didn't. Um, maybe the first thing you should look for in a spouse is someone that is looking to serve their spouse and not like putting all these expectations on. I feel like I'm not wording this right. Here's the deal. And this can be really shady. So you got to be careful with this because okay. we're shady people. But one of the most attractive things to anybody who's serious, I'm not talking about like the 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 goofy, fun-loving, I just want to have fun. I just want to have a fling. I just want to have sex with whoever. Like, I don't want to take anything serious in life. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about, like, godly people who are, like, looking for something more, like like a, a legitimate relationship. One of the most attractive things is somebody who's outward-focused. And that doesn't mean they don't take care of themselves. That doesn't mean they they don't fix their hair or trim their beard or wear makeup or wear – I mean, like, it doesn't mean that whether they want to or not. That's beside the point. But what I'm saying is it doesn't mean they don't take care of themselves. But what it means is that they're much more focused on – serving other people, caring mm-hmm. for other people yeah. than they are on caring for themselves and getting all their needs met or wants met all the time. And so if you're looking for somebody, just kind of a side note here, you're going to be more attractive to a potential boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse by thinking less of yourself. Humility, Every everyone's least favorite person is the narcissist in the room. Everyone's favorite person is the most humble person in the room, mm, yep. period. And yet we get that mixed up all the time. And it works for relationships too. Good. Loved that one. How do I know if my boyfriend slash girlfriend is, quote, godly enough for me? Because even though they're Christian, they still sin. Say it isn't so. 
What's that mean? <laughs> Christian sin? <laughs> uh, look, First John talks a lot about like the patterns of sin. Okay, so your, your boyfriend or girlfriend, and we did a whole once again episode on Out of Oz on cursing. But let's just say your boyfriend or girlfriend has a potty mouth. And by potty mouth, I mean like actually bad. Like they like use God's name in vain, drop GD. Like, I mean, like it's, it's bad. It's one thing if they do it once or twice over the course of a year. They get really upset. They get angry. They get worked up. They're super stressed, whatever. And they confess that and they mm. apologize for it. I remember like I got upset one day. I didn't drop GD or anything. But I was in Nicole and Maddie's office and I got upset because something had been dropped through or whatever. And I was like, oh, I'm like irritated. And I don't think it was like a huge deal. But then like 10 minutes later, like the spirit was like, you need to go like set this right. And I walked in and I was like, first of all, I'm really sorry to you guys. And Maddie was like, I feel like our relationship just went to the next level. Like, because when you can like, when you can yeah. literally just like humble yourself and say, I'm sorry and legitimately mean that. And I've repented before the Lord. That goes a long way toward restoration. Mm -hmm. So if you're dating somebody, you're in a relationship, or you're engaged to somebody, and um, they get angry, they get like like viscerally angry, and they're punching stuff. And uh, I'm never for like staying with somebody who's physically abusive, but mm -mm. let's say they punch a wall, or I don't know, like, like toss over a chair or something, um, or they're swearing, or they're um, belittling you. Yeah, belittling you, or they're you find out they're looking at porn, or they looked at porn. Uh, I think I think a, a question that needs to be raised is, is this a pattern mm. or is this a one-time mistake? And are they legitimately apologetic and repentant of that? Mm. Seeking change, seeking accountability for their Good. anger, for their lust, for, um, you know, whatever it is. I think those are questions that need to be asked. The, the marks of 1 John are that a, a true follower of Jesus will grow slowly, painfully, but they will grow so that, you know, you're dating somebody, you're looking at their life, they're looking at your life. Are you being a good example to them? Mm -hmm. Are you leading them the path of righteousness? But are they, are they just consistently, are they, are they just pretending to be better for you? And that takes a lot of wisdom. And that takes accountability speaking in your life because love is blind. Like mm -hmm. love blinds us. Mm -hmm. And so are they just pretending like um, for you to be godly or to love Jesus or whatever? Um, or can you, can you tell and can others tell? for your sake, that they're actually like striving Girl, to live for yeah. Jesus? Um, those are really good questions to ask, but there's a lot of nuance around them. This leads perfectly into the next one. What are some red flags for relationships? Addictive behavior. I mean, I mean not just like addictive to like... Bad stuff. To, to stuff, yeah. but addictive to that behavior, like like an mm -hmm. addiction to anger. Like that when they are disappointed, I, I, talk, I literally even recently talking to a young lady and almost every time we talk, she talks about her boyfriend and how he's like so quick triggered with with like reacting to stuff. Scary. And I'm like, that should be a red flag. Like if they cannot control that, I get it. We all get mad, especially if you're an A type like me, like get really mad. Um, but it also conversely go with like shutting down. Does your girlfriend like shut down when she doesn't get her way? Mm -hmm. And like, and not just like once or twice, but like routinely, like week after week, they're shutting down, they're shutting away from a relationship, they're shutting away from community deprioritization of church and community life. Like that should be a red flag to, be, to, to you. Because if they're going to deprioritize that now, they're certainly going to do that once you get married. And and so are they faithful in coming to church? Are they, hey, we had a late event on Saturday night, but we're going to church tomorrow morning because it's important to be with the community of yep. faith, to worship Christ together. Like, like things like that. There's lots of red flags, but I would say um, justification of sin. I talked about just a second ago, like how important, like re genuine repentance and 
you know, acknowledgement of wrong is, but like we we're living in this day where like people just justify their sin. Well, I'm not, I'm not I'm not a jerk. I'm just like super passionate like about my mm-hmm. views. Like no, like you're a jerk. Like <laughs> and it's sin. And it needs to be repented of. Like stop justifying bad behavior, and don't allow your boyfriend or girlfriend to justify bad behavior. And don't be blind to it. You know. So anything you have to add there, Mags? Narcissism. You kind of got into that with one of the other ones about outward serving instead of just being inward focused. But I feel like it's a huge red flag when they're just like only and manipulative. Stay away from manipulative. Super self-absorbed. I mean, yeah, there's just lots of things. But anything that's sin, anything that's a pattern of sin, once again, where they're just walking in that. Pushing your boundaries. Passionate about everything else, but apathetic about Jesus. That's a a problem. So Yeah. Hmm. Why is missional dating or being unequally yoked not a good thing? What if I feel like God is telling me to do it? Well, God doesn't contradict himself. And so Corinthians tells us to not be unequally yoked. So it's a bad thing because the Bible says it's a bad thing. We shouldn't do that. Dating, if you're a Christian, should lead ultimately eventually to marriage. Yeah. So not being unequally yoked, I'm pretty much an opponent against like just casually dating for all the reasons we've said, like mistakes being made, emotions being given, sex happening, whatever. So casually dating doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I understand casually mm-hmm. dating for like a week or two to figure out if this is the person you're yeah. want to actually get in a relationship with. But casually dating for months or just casually dating endlessly with different people, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And so when we talk about like linking our lives up intimately with somebody, missional dating has worked. Hey, it's worked. It worked for me. That was awesome. But that doesn't mean that I wasn't in violation of scripture. It doesn't mean that God doesn't use our sin and poor decisions at times to still bring about good. Clearly he does. But more often than not, as a matter of fact, I would say if we had to put a statistical measure on it, probably 95, 98% of the time, it leads the, the believer away into mm-hmm. sin. They end up having sex. They like that sex because God's made us to like sex. And then they're like, you know what? I, I get to choose between my boyfriend who I love because i've intimately connected myself to him because that's how god designed it for sex to work um and sex or i get to choose god and a bunch of stuffy people to go to church with i want my boyfriend in sex and so they deconstruct their faith around sexuality i think i think it's really important that we that we press upon and nobody's gonna want to hear it but that we press upon young people to only date sold out jesus loving you can be friends with people who aren't christians you can have a crush on somebody who's not a Christian. You can evangelize your friend and wait until they become a Christian to date them. I don't care. Yeah. But to actually start dating them and enter into a relationship of With that purpose, yeah. Yeah, of romance and, and intimacy, that's just bad news. Agreed. There is a quote that says, You have to love yourself before you can love anyone else. Is that true? I refute that in the name of the Lord. <laughs> I was waiting for Maddie to say something. Well, you're never going to find a biblical command to love yourself. You're going to find Bill Corman to love Christ and love others. So you're never going to find that or to find yourself or to be you or to do you or to like none of this, none of this crap that we hear today. (laughs) You're just not going to find it. Self-love club. It's it's humanism um, from human nature, but also more so in our Western uh, civilization from the Enlightenment era that just says man man is the measure of all things. Like what's important to you is what's important. And so nothing's more important to us than us. Nothing's more important to me than me. My happiness, my passions, my dreams, my goals, my hobbies. So in the Greek culture, 
and you guys probably know this because I talk about it when we study different epistles in the New Testament, but in the Greek culture, they had at least four different words for love. I won't get into all those, but one of them was eros, and we get erotic from that. And that was a very self-satisfying love. And it was seen as very, very base, not bad, because that should exist. I, I argue that all four types of love should exist in marriage, friendship, and eroticism, and you know, sexuality, and um, commitment. Um, but um, that was not seen as the primary form of love, at least not for Christians. And then Paul kind of, it was kind of a new term in his day, but Paul kind of introduced this, this word agape in, into the New Testament um, into the first century. And it was like this loyalty committed. It's kind of the, the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word has said, if you're familiar with that, um, this loyalty covenant commitment to someone. And throughout Christianity, that was always the understanding. Um, when I say throughout, throughout the healthy seasons of Christianity, first, second, third, fourth century, from really the 11th century, the winds of the Reformation into the 16th century, the Puritan era. And, and now even today, when, when you come into a healthy understanding of Christianity, Agape is what's always foremost in relationships, but in our society, our society has infiltrated the church so much that eros really is that word that I think most people are focused on now. It's, and, and it's a very self-gratifying um, word. Like, how can I be sexually, intimately, romantically satisfied that this person is doing for me everything that I need or want done instead of once again, as we talked about earlier, serving them. And so um, all that to say, I think the the proclivity within us is to want to gratify self instead of wanting to serve others. And there needs to be more of a commitment to self-sacrifice, loyalty, commitment, devotion, and we'll see healthier relationships from that. But do you have to love God first to be able to understand love? Ooh. Well, no, there's definitely people that have great relationships and truly love each other and committed to each other, devote themselves to one another, faithful to one another who aren't Christians. Um, I think, with all due respect to them, that they're stealing the idea. Yeah. Like, because there's nothing in their worldview as non-Christians that would communicate that you have to do this. So they're, they're kind of borrowing, I guess that's a nicer way of saying it. They're borrowing the concept of this committed self-sacrificing love for one, this devotion to one another. And you have to remember like the whole Western civilization was founded upon Judeo-Christian principles. And so we have it kind of ingrained within us that the best thing to do is not to cheat on your husband or wife, even for people who are like, all religious, like they're like, right. oh, you shouldn't really cheat on your husband or wife. That, that's starting but to why? erode. Yeah. That's starting to erode in the last decade plus. But still, there's a lot of people who are just like good, honest, Moral. hardworking American people who know I should be faithful to my husband or wife. I shouldn't like be addicted to pornography. Like I, I should care about their interests. Well, that's a Judeo-Christian principle that exists there. And so I do think that there, there is something to be said with being at peace with yourself. Um, C.S. Lewis always famously said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, right? Mm. And so it's not like, I don't have to like self-deprecate. I just need to like be more concerned with the affairs of others uh, and particularly the affairs of my wife than I am with myself. And so I don't, we don't have to like, we don't have to know God in order to understand love. Just like we don't have to know God to understand science or all the other gifts that he's given to us. We can have a working knowledge of these things, but by understanding God, we understand them better. Mm. We understand the origin of them. Yeah. How do you address a friend who says they are a Christian, but does not bear any fruit or marks of a true Christian? Tenderly, with compassion, with care, but with truth. So I think 
in so many of these ways, we land on one extreme or the other. We either come at them hot and heavy with like, like you're in sin, you're, mm. you don't show any, any proof of salvation, and we just turn them off, and they never want to talk to us again. Or we come at them with kid gloves, really soft, compassionate. Oh, I, love you. I love you anyway. You know, and it's yeah. like that with so many things in life, but especially with the person who claims they're a Christian, it should be, you know, I love you. Like, I hope you know I love you. Like, I really care about you. I care about your soul. I care about your eternal destiny. I care about your relationship with God to God in this life, your peace, your joy, your purpose. And the Bible says X. Uh, it says that you'll know them by their fruit, for example. I always like to say, ask them questions. Like, what does yeah. a true Christian look like to you? Like, what, you know, with your working knowledge of the Bible, what does a true Christian look like? Because even that person who's doing that will look at other people and be like, they say they're a Christian. And yet they talk like that or they do that with their boyfriend or girlfriend or they whatever. Yeah. So they, they have an understanding that mm. there's a certain way that Christians should behave. Mm -hmm. And and then kind of in friendship and in care and in love, directing them back to, hey, are you actually behaving in consistency, in consistency with these things? How do you control the influence that unbelieving friends have on you? Madge, you got this one. Can I just speak from personal experience? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so basically, once you become a Christian, I feel like your desires obviously start to change because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. So the things that you maybe used to do with your unbelieving friends, you kind of like don't want to do anymore. So I feel like naturally you start to kind of move away from them, which kind of takes away their influence on you. But once you do hang out with them again and you get into gossip, maybe like you used to or drinking like you used to, smoking like you used to, whatever the case may be, you kind of have to start to evaluate like, is this friendship serving like my love for God, like making my love for God grow more? Because we know we're supposed to be friends with people who aren't not believers and like witness to them and things mm -hmm. like that. But at what level are you like letting them into your inner circles and who are you getting advice from in a way that is influencing you away from godliness? So you just have to be careful with like how you let them in, but you still can like be their friend and hang out with them. Yeah, I'd say like pick your context. So instead of like going to the parties you used to go to, be like, hey, let's go grab coffee together. Mm -hmm. Just us. Like pick a different context. Like if you know you're going to be prone to compromise, I've seen it a lot with people who like get become Christians, get saved, and then they are on fire for a month or two and they try to go back into the environment where they compromise so much or they, yeah. they really struggle in the first place. And, and I, that's just not good. And so you might be like, well, I've never like gone to coffee with anybody. I've never gone to lunch. Yeah, well. <laughs> That's why things are a wreck. Like, go try something different. Mm -hmm. Invite them to church and to lunch after church. Invite them to a young adult gathering. Like, do something different. Um, invite them to go to Top Golf with you. Something that you don't like. Get them away from that environment. Yeah. Um, bring your Christian friends along with you. One or two people. Every, all of us here have mentors and um, disciplers and um, and friends, like Christian friends. So bring them along with you. Like, invite them. Be like, hey, not like, hey, we're going to this party. Get hammered. Like, want to go? <laughs> but like. Like, hey, I'm I'm gonna go meet up with two or three of my old friends. I would love for you to come along. Take them. It might be weird, but like, it's better that you like stay the course than that you put yourself back in that environment in that situation. So there are tools you can implement. Um, but look, no man's an island. No one's strong enough in themselves. Mm -hmm. So don't put yourself back in the situation of compromise. Then the same would go once again, not to revert back to a romantic relationship, but the same would go with you were dating somebody who wasn't a believer. You got saved. Now they're asking questions. Let them ask their questions. Let them come to church. Let them claim faith in Christ before you put yourself mm. back in that situation. It's just going to drag Facts. you back. Facts. Question 10. The last one. The we last one. It. 
What should discipleship relationships look like? Are there specific biblical requirements of how you are to disciple someone or be discipled? Maybe. So it's a good question. I think we overhype the formality of discipleship in the church. Hmm. And that just annoys me so bad. Um, I, like when people come in the church and they're like, what are your processes and, and you know, all this. Coming in hot. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just like, look, look, chill out. The way of Jesus clearly is that he connected missionally, um, meaning mean that they shared a commonality of purpose, come follow me, fishers and men, with 12 dudes. And I think there is something to be said for same-sex discipleship. Like, doesn't mean that I can't, I, I consider myself a discipler of both of you guys, but not as close to you guys because you're of, uh, I'm a married dude and uh, of a different gender than you guys. So yeah. there, there is something to be said for that. Like, I mean, I, I know a lot of guys who are like, I would like to disciple her. Like, you know, and so, <laughs> so I think there's something to be said for, yes, discipling your wife, discipling your husband, like that's important, but being careful with, with the opposite sex. It doesn't mean you can't instruct them and pour into them and help them and answer questions for them, but you gotta be careful with that connection there. Because actually a lot of affairs have come through innocent gospel means where there's, because scripture, like truth unites people, like it leads to increased intimacy. So we do have to be careful there. But I think uh, just to strip away all the facade and all the pretense and say, hey, look, it's, it's living life alongside someone and showing them what it means to try to love God, to try to pursue truth, to confess sin, to grow in our instruction and uh, information surrounding the word together. And that's what it is. And I think it's hard to do that with more than probably three or four or five people, like closely, like really closely. And I don't think it can be manufactured or forced. I just don't. Like, uh, so, uh, so many times over the years, and God bless our the older people, I'd probably put myself in that category who come to Building 28, but so many times an older individual will be like, I really want to disciple girls, disciple girls, or I really want to disciple guys. And I'm like, then be around and connect with them and converse with them. Like, I can't force feed someone your direction. There has, discipleship requires relationship. Right. Unless it's like a formal discipleship of like from the stage instructing that, that's discipleship too. But if we're talking about relational discipleship, it takes relationship and it takes a commonality of interest and friendship, and then, yeah, it involves instruction in the word and involvement in life. And yeah, there you go. I just want to throw this in there because not to plug another podcast on our podcast, but Daily Grace Co. had a podcast on discipleship. And I thought it was really cool because they talked about um, just how it can just be, like you said, it doesn't, the process doesn't have to be so formal. In the everyday of life. Yeah. Yeah. And something that really stuck out to me was one of the ladies on there suggested like, maybe you're engaged and you want to spend time around like a married woman to like teach you how to be a wife or something. And like she teaches you how to cook while you guys like talk yeah, scripture or whatever. Like, yeah. like I think you would probably say like the process doesn't have to be so formal, but like the time has to be intentional maybe. I think discipleship takes intentionality. That's one of our mantras here at Building yeah. Training is mm-hmm. discipleship does take intentionality because we're too busy. But I think if you actually have a heart for Jesus and a heart for truth, It'll have, like, yeah. And you're around another person who has a heart for Jesus and a heart for truth. Even if one of your intellectual information concerning the truth outpaces the other one, which mm. typically happens in discipleship because one person knows more than the other person or one person has been more matured in the faith than the other. Yeah. Um, but that you're naturally, you might talk about sports, like you, you might talk about 
you know, hunting or fishing. You might talk about hobbies, but eventually I think you're going to talk about it. So it doesn't have to be like, let's sit down. Let's get into the book right now. Like this minute, like yeah. stop talking about life. <laughs> I think it can just be like, hey, let's let, let's let's chat life because Jesus, church, gospel, faith, struggle, doubt, it's all going to come up mm. at some point. And those are my healthiest relationships. Those are people that I feel like I'm accountable to and discipled by. It's people that I can have real talk with that I can say, hey, I'm struggling this. I'm having a hard time believing this, resting in this. Um, here's what I learned today. What do you think of this? I think good questions make for good discipleship. Like mm-hmm. bringing, but Maddie always has all these questions, like which I love. And that's how, you, that's how we grow, asking those questions. So anyway, that's it for episode two. Woo! We did it. I think it was too long as well. <laughs> really? I don't know. We might have to go to seven questions, but <laughs> till next time, folks. Thanks for listening to The Skeptical Saint. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. The Skeptical Saint is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about this show and Building 28 by visiting theskepticalsaint.com. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.